1: Once, when I was 18 and completely insane. But I was with two other guides, experienced guides, and we were just lucky. But there were two other people that summer who did not get so lucky. One guy got killed, and the other is paralyzed for life. But don't worry, we're gonna hit some threes and four pluses. You're gonna scream your guts out, you'll love it. going to risk death a number of times on this trip.
0: Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that lost money for Pixar. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host Joe Reed. I am here as always with my lucky Lollapalooza hat. Chris File, hello Chris.
1: Lucky Lollapalooza hat from the head of Kevin Bacon.
0: That's true. It's true. He is... What a
1: weird way to ingratiate yourself as a murderer.
0: Yes! How? Yes.
1: What a way to
0: show that you're cool with the kids. Well, I mean, it was 1994. I feel like that sort of explains a lot of that vibe. But you can have a, like, whatever... 13-year-old kid or however old Joseph Zella is supposed to be in this movie like who's 11. like, I wish I could have seen Jane's Addiction, he says in his little like, pic- pipsqueaky Thank voice or whatever. You. Cause I
1: was like, what band does this kid care about that's at Lollapalooza? He
0: said, he mentioned Jane's Addiction. He said, I wish I could have seen Jane's Addiction. And I was just like, and like, that sounds absurd now, but, like, back in 94, I could almost see it. You know what I mean? Back in 94, I was 14 years old, and I had, like, very definite opinions on things like Trent Reznor and, you know, <laughs> like, Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, I was, like, very, very tuned into, like, the artists who were playing Woodstock 94. So, like, I, I get it. I do get that.
1: The Red Hot Chili pepper. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So, like, that fully did actually track for me, even though Joseph Mazzello is always will forever be uh annoying little tim from uh from jurassic park and he's annoying in this movie as well <laughs> i w-
1: i just want it known that we will have said joseph Mazzello four times on this episode probably before we've said the words meryl streep
0: yeah that's weird huh we might well, have to pivot
1: to becoming a Joseph Mazzello podcast.
0: Well, and now that you said it a fifth time by Candyman rules, uh, Joseph Mazzello will now appear uh, in one of our rooms and explain him, all of the thematics to me <laughs> of the movie.
1: Um, you know,
0: yeah, as as the new Candyman does. Yes, neither one of us uh, was. People all super will have pumped. forgotten
1: about that movie by the time that this episode airs.
0: Unfortunately.
1: Uh, We are not talking about a horror movie, but we are talking about the rare action movie today on this podcast.
0: The rare action movie that had Oscar buzz, which is what happens when you cast Meryl Streep as your action heroine. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about The River Wild, a movie I love and a movie I will always catch sort of in midstream, no pun intended, uh, on cable and watch straight through the end every time. But as I texted you last night... This is the first time I've seen the beginning half of this movie in a very long time, which is <laughs> like it's the, the not pheno- as good half of the movie. Right. Well, it's the phenomenon of these movies, where I, I always talk about Contact, how Contact is a very perfect cable TV movie, because if you catch it in the middle, you haven't missed any of the good parts. And so long as you catch it before she hears the signal from Vega, which like spoiler is like almost an hour into the movie because that movie takes its time. Contact is like two and a half hours long. Yeah. And like happy it is because again, by the time, you know, you hit that 45 minute mark and you've shown up, like there's still plenty of good movie there. Uh, this is a movie that sort of happens in stages and takes a while to get there. But like that last like half hour to 45 minutes or so is top notch 90s action thriller as far as I'm concerned. It's so much fun. It's so good. The fact that this got awards attention for its acting. I think it is a big, you know, a big part of that is streep. A big part of that is where Kevin Bacon actually was at this point in his career. Mm -hmm. But I think a big part of that was like people who saw this movie and were like, why was I so captivated by this action movie? Oh, it must be like these, you know, great performances. And they are great performances. Like these are definitely the kind of performances where if they were in a movie today, you would get to the end of the year and people like us would be like, you know what was one of the best performances of the year? Meryl Streep and The River Wild. It felt very, like, not Sterephan. the same thing... <laughs> right. Not the same thing as, like, Tony Collette's giving the best performance of the year in Hereditary, not to keep bringing up Ari Aster movies, but, um... It felt like that. It was just, like, you know, something happening in a genre that is not always... that is very rarely going to get you awards attention.
1: I actually think Meryl is super underrated in this movie. Yeah. And, like, what I... Found interesting about her performance that maybe in ways that we can like go into deeper on the other side of the conversation. But like, she felt to me very much like she was kind of actively working against this like action hero, badass type of screen persona in this movie. And maybe that's just like who she is as an actor and the type of choices that she makes with a character. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it never felt like she was mugging to the camera she was a way more like complicated hero in yes. that like yes she allows us to see that she is both confident in what she's doing and also like the machinations play on her face on how she's going to get her family out of this scenario at all
0: times right and we'll talk about Curtis Hansen as well who directed this movie this is our second Curtis Hansen movie after I love Curtis Hansen uh in her shoes but this is and this is sort of his last movie of his like kind of junky workaday era which is not to you know disparage the movies that he made this movie he made right after the hand that rocks a cradle which i think is an incredibly effective and creepy horror movie um, and it was a hit right yes. hand that rocks the so cradle like, yeah as far as i as far as i remember yes but like a schlocky hit so like, right. it's a
1: little surprising that like meryl does a movie with him after, like, but like, you would never imagine uh, Meryl going. Well, we'll to talk a about that rocks the cradle. <laughs>
0: we'll talk about Meryl's early 90s era, too, um, w- once we get on the other side of the plot description. But it's a really um, interesting time for her. She's trying some stuff. This movie really fits into the. And not all Curtis Hansen movies are like this, but like, Curtis Hansen will give a very interesting take on his leading actress. And. I think in her shoes in many way becomes more unexpected and, and this movie becomes sort of like not quite what you expect of its lead character. And like with something like in her shoes, like, yes, there's a source novel to talk about. And so, you know, it's not like Hanson like, you know, conjured up that characterization, but he is, or was, I should say, cause uh, he has unfortunately passed, um, a really underrated director of actresses. Absolutely, Um, I love this movie. Also, okay, is this the hottest Meryl Streep performance? I mean, like she. Well, no. What? I mean, like it's uh, it's top three at worst. Oh yeah, at worst, at worst. I mean, like she's super hot. I feel the
1: pressure to come up with something definitive. I mean, like it may also like. Uh, reveal who you are I think there's certain people who like are looking for a dom top and might say the devil wears Prada is the hottest that she has ever been
0: I mean if uh, you're looking for a dom top Meryl like this movie is also giving that to you like she's, lit- she's literally throwing Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley around that raft and being like you do this you do she's literally giving orders in this movie like what more do you want I
1: suppose that's true Ah, oh, she's so but good there's listening. also like Death Becomes Her, which is like right. all about image. That's in a very way. glam.
0: That's very glam, Meryl. You get glam, Meryl, and something like She Devil. But like,
1: I she's think- never not glam. I would maybe say like if we're talking like her most uh, like. Uh, Stun like a visually like a stunning performance where I think she looks the most beautiful. Uh it's probably
0: Bridges of Madison County. Oh which, like I that's so funny. I thought you were gonna say Mary Poppins returns because uh famously I, I also you know, top ride three, hard for Topsy. Top three hottest Merrill. Right. If you're talking about top Merrill, like you can't get more top than Topsy. So truly <laughs> I love that we have now pivoted into the taxonomy of which Merrill performances are tops. <laughs> Somebody, some, like, literally, I'm handing Vulture an article uh, topic right now. Just, like, Merrill Street performance. performances uh, along the top and bottom dynamic. And uh, we think some of these will surprise you. Anyway.
1: She's I don't think, a Cla- I definitely think, like, Clarissa Vaughn is a bottom.
0: Yes, but her character in Prime is a top. Yes. Um, Prairie Home Companion. Verse. Top. Top. verse sure <laughs> I- iconic verse in fairy home companion all right honestly now i'm gonna like take an hour break and like and and sketch this out and i'll come back um no uh, uh,
1: describe the sexual identity of all of meryl's characters
0: <laughs> we are going to get into it not that but the rest of uh, the river wild uh on the other side of this plot description but before we do uh a little i'll give you the basics of this movie it was uh 1994's The River Wild, directed by, as we mentioned, our beloved and uh, late-lamented Curtis Hansen, written by Dennis O'Neill, starring Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, David Strathairn, John C. Riley, and one of—this is probably the first John C. Riley performance I remember ever seeing. I don't remember— He's in movies before this, but I don't really remember him very much in movies before this.
1: You know, this. who else is kind of hot in this movie? John Stop C. Riley. Stop
0: it. John C. Riley is a sack of potatoes holding another sack of potatoes in this movie. Like, John C. Riley is classic. Oaf- you say that as if I have a fucking <laughs> problem with that. I do not. Uh, also, starring Joseph Mazzello, as we mentioned, that is now the sixth time uh, we've mentioned him Candyman, Candyman. Uh, and Benjamin Bratt, of course, which was. Probably only a few years before he joined the cast of Law and Order and really kind of uh uh broke out into wide recognition. Um when did he start dating Julia Roberts, I wonder?
1: Uh around the time uh well, he went to the Oscars with her.
0: Yes, but they were all they were had been together for a good bit, I feel like, by then. Um, Interesting. Give me a second now, because now I can't. Uh, I can't mentally move on until I figured this While out. While
1: you look that up, I just have to talk about how a plot point in this movie is that Meryl Streep knows Benjamin Bratt because she babysat him.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, it tracks. It, it definitely tracks. Um, all right. Joins the cast of Law and Order in 1995. So this wi- this was uh, really uh, just before that. Starts dating Julia Roberts in 1998. Uh, and that lasts about three-ish years before she ends up with... Um, what's her boyfriend? Danny Motor. Danny Masterson, Cody LaFoon. What is his name? Danny Motor. Danny Motor. Right. I always forget that name. All right. Anyway.
1: Respect the motors, sir.
0: Do I? Must I? Should I? Okay. Of course! (laughs) This movie opened in wide release on September 30th, 1994. Christopher, I'm going to fetch my little stopwatch. I'm going to ask you if you are ready for a 60-second plot description on the River Wild. Sure! All right. Ready and go.
1: Alright, we follow Meryl Streep as Gail, who is a uh, teacher of the deaf, but she is also a, like, hobbyist, uh, whitewater rafter, apparently. She's incredibly adept at this, but she's... Basically on the verge of her uh of divorce with her husband Tom, they decide to take their whole family out into Montana so that they can like visit her family, but then also do some whitewater rafting with their son. Uh he isn't originally gonna uh, the husband isn't originally gonna go, but he ends up going because uh he's trying to save the marriage. Seconds. Whatever. Anyway, they quickly meet and are ingratiated upon to by um some bank robbers played by Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley. They have another guy who is like taking them on a raft but uh he gets lost we know that they kill him anyway the they descend upon the family disperse them and their dog Ten so that they make meryl take them across the river and then she eventually shoots kevin bacon in the chest and they win
0: she does that's one of i will say time is up all right um love that ending love the shot of her sort of cocking the bullet into place and saying there was a way that felt very um but not today that one uh <laughs> acceptance feature she's just like some days I even I think I'm overrated. But not today. Not today, Wade. Um Wade, the
1: character played by Kevin Bacon, whose name I could not remember, could probably not remember John C. Riley's character name if I was tasked to with that one Dale uh, with right? Meryl Isn't he Streep Dale? holding a gun to my head.
0: I feel like he's Dale, right? I'll actually feels like look iconically it up. a Dale. No, Terry. Um sure. why isn't sure. there a Dale in this movie? I guess Wade Wade, iconic uh name for a character in a movie about water. So there is that. Um also uh
1: an, I another iconic movie about a woman named Gail charged with taking one person from one destination to another.
0: Wait, where are you leading me to? Hi, I'm Gail. Oh fuck off! Fuck right off! I swear to Christ. <laughs> Where does Gale rank in the list of of like uh, fitting Meryl Streep character names? Like, does Meryl seem like a Gale to you? Not in
1: this movie, though. However, I do think she is like top three cinematic Gales,
0: uh, along with your stupidest "Stars Born" Gale, and uh, along
1: with the "Stars Born" Gale and Gale obviously Weathers? Gale Weathers, yeah.
0: Spells differently, Gail Weathers, but yes. Doesn't matter. Um, so, <laughs> matters not. Uh, we love Gale Weathers. Iconic uh, muckraker and uh, we also va- love vainglorious uh, uh, authoress. Okay, so Meryl at this point had already established her reputation throughout the 80s as like accent queen, can play any nationality. She's Dutch, she's Polish, she's you know, uh, whatever. Here she is tasked to be a, a woman who was born and raised in Montana among sort of like hardy ranchers. Her mom is played by Elizabeth Hoffman, who I only know of as Dante's the- peak Grandma. Oh, see? Okay, that's your... Ooh, uh, that's wait, you- there's something else besides this?
1: Because we have to take five minutes to talk about this actress.
0: Well, yes. Yeah, so you can talk about Dante's Speak in a second. I'm just going to mention that she was, iconically, the mom on Sisters. And I know you like when I bring up the fact that uh, Susie Kurtz and Ceele Ward starred in an NBC television drama called Sisters yes. that aired on Saturday nights back when they aired TV shows on Saturday nights. She was the mom. That's mostly what I know her for. Talk about her other role in Dante's Peak that I always misremember as being played by Betty White because Betty White was that role in Lake Placid.
1: There are times where I have mistakenly remembered as it played by Frances Sternhagen, Mm. so it's fine. This actress is in Dante's Peak, who is like most famous in Dante's Peak. She is the husband of... Is Linda Hamilton's husband dead or was there a divorce? Did he run off? What is it? I think he's dead.
0: Aren't they just estranged? Isn't her husband Pierce Brosnan in that? Or is that... Are they? No, just, no, I don't think so. Okay.
1: Anyway, he's not there. She is, like, the very bitter grandmother. But, like, they go, like, to escape the volcano to her place. But, uh, anyway, the important part, she dies iconically because... They're in a boat trying to get across a mass of water that the lava has gotten into, and it's starting to like sink their boat. Right. So to get everyone to safety, she jumps into the lava water and carries the boat, and they pull her out, and she's you know. So
0: another hardy dead. mountain woman, uh, character for Elizabeth exactly. Hoffman. Good for her. I will say, uh, I I always need to preface this by saying no shade at all to Dante's Peak, but it is the inferior 1997 movie about volcanoes. Uh, Dante's Peak hear...
1: belongs in a double DVD set with the Rivers with the River Wild. That's the fair. The River's Wild. The
0: River's Wild. Okay, thanks, Mom. Um, the River
1: apostrophe is Wild.
0: You know what movie I love? The River's Wild. Have you ever seen that one? Um yeah. <laughs> Meryl's
1: there, and there's a river, and that river it's wild, man.
0: <laughs> um yeah, so iconic Elizabeth Hoffman double DVD set for uh, Dante's Peak and uh, the River Wild, but uh, yeah, Volcano is better. Okay, so um Meryl is playing, like I said, a woman, sort of born and raised in Montana. Her parents are hardy ranchers. Her father is uh, deaf. A thing that this, this movie is very 90s in the way that it uses. Um, And I don't want to like demonize the movie because like there was a way that like you could be like well-meaningly, like blithely fake inclusive in things back in the 90s. Uh, Whereas like, her dad is deaf and that's why Meryl knows sign language and that's why they can use sign language at the end to foil the criminals. And it feels like... To draw sign language. Everything in this movie that has to do with sort of diversity and inclusion in a way that like at the beginning of the movie i was just like oh this is so cool that this that you know this movie is just sort of like very like chill and casually like inclusive in a way that just like why not why not have you know her her father be deaf and have this family sort of all know sign language and then by the end of the movie i'm like serve a plot right it's a plot thing and i think the same thing with the way they sort of include uh, all this discussion about like the Native American community around this river and the Benjamin symbols. Bratt, uh, Benjamin Bratt is playing a, a Native American character in this. And I'm just like, oh, right, that is also because this movie has like a plot and it feels again like it's not malignant, but it does feel like the kind of thing that you would see in. I always talk about like, um, celluloid closet. Uh, homophobia where you'll watch an old movie and you'll see something be like very like homophobic but very of the time and I'm just like, Oh, I bet this was mentioned in the cellular. Including
1: closet. some of the interviews. Right.
0: But like I, but I always think about just like oh, this was probably in a montage in the celluloid closet. We're talking about just sort of like oh, oh right. this was indicative of the homophobia of the era. Like there, like the River Wild is not a uh, culturally insensitive movie, but it is a movie that reflects the kind of uh, blase way that like movies did diversity often. At the
1: there's time. a lot. There's a. F- there's some moments of yikes that if you put it in a montage, it would seem, you know.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, But also the way that, like, it uses Kevin Bacon's character, Wade, being actively terrible and racist to really, like, hammer home what an irredeemable villain this guy is. Beyond the fact that he's already, like, you know, threatening to kill them and whatever, but that he can be so sort of, like, overtly nasty, uh, uh, casually so, you're, I feel like it's it's sort of added characterization for him. Uh, that moment where he sort of, you know, uh, talks about, uh, talks to Benjamin Bratt in that very, just like, they say that like it's worse for you know Native Americans than, it's worse to be a Native American than it is to be like a black or Latino or something like that. And it's just like, oh, this guy's some bad, bad news. Um, but I feel like that felt very sort of like of a piece of you know, mainstream filmmaking in the 90s.
1: Yeah. There's also this, like, tameness that feels kind of 90s, and maybe it's because, like, our action movies now aren't as tame as this movie is, but, like, it's weird for how it kind of plays out for that character where it's like he's never really all that threatening to the kid but it also kind of hinges around like the threat around this child. There's
0: implicit threat that's used very effectively in this movie. You also talk about the part where She's sort of skinny dipping late at night in the river mm-hmm. and thinks she's having this moment alone. And then she sees Kevin Bacon sort of staring at her from up on the cliff. And it's like, he that's doesn't, the final straw, he too. doesn't need to attack her in order for her to feel the threat from him. And I feel like he doesn't need to, like, he doesn't end up actually like striking the kid until, yeah, he slaps the kid. At one he point. does slap the kid, but like, that's after he's revealed himself to be, you know, uh,
1: yeah, all the cards are on actively,
0: the table. Right, cards are on the table. But he's implicitly threatening to them and to the kid in the way that he, like, takes the kid out on the raft without, you know, their permission. Or just the way that he's, like, talking. I think this movie does a really good job of reflecting the ways in which you can feel threatened by somebody without having them threaten you, if that makes sense. Without having them, like, actively, yeah. like, verbalize... I think-
1: a My, like, reservation about, like, this character development is that it does feel, like, very slow to get this movie going. It
0: does. It is. Well, and I mean, it, it takes them a while to even, like, get on the river. And I do, part of me really appreciates that kind of storytelling that lets something develop part of part of me i do feel i do feel the itch to like let's get on the river let's get going let's get moving especially because the last like i said 30 to 40 minutes of this movie are so great um and do such a good job of being like you know action oriented but i like that we get this time where we really get to feel the family dynamics here so that ultimately yeah david strathairn's actions at the end of the movie have more of an impact um, I like the fact that we get the scenes of her and her family, her and her parents, her mother especially, where it gives you a sense of what her character is, that she grew up, she was, she was sort of an adventurer, she lived on the land, she was very like close to the land, she's, doesn't live there anymore, she sort of doesn't, she doubts her abilities to be able to do this. And like the movie doesn't press on this too hard. Once the movie gets going, this idea that like, she really doesn't think she's going to be able to get them down the river. She does not think she's going to be able to raft this, you know, category five gauntlet or whatever. Um, because she doesn't think like she's the, she's the person she was when she was 18 and reckless and, and, you know, more attuned to her ability. The movie doesn't really like harp on that too much, but it's an undercurrent that I think, makes what happens in the last half hour of the movie that much more effective.
1: Well, and I think the cumulative cumulative effect of this kind of... I don't even want to call it a slow burn, but, like, a slow start to this movie, yeah. the effect is it really does kind of allow the type of, like, subtle character arc that Meryl is trying to play versus these, like, big, broad action movie strokes. Right. Like it It allows that to really pay off and it's it keeps it interesting
0: a know? lot happens in this movie without it ever being without it ever actually happening if that makes sense like mm-hmm. there's like Gail is flirting with Wade through the early part of this movie, and she denies it when she's called out on it and the movie never capitalizes on it but you know that it's happening on a very sort of like low key level and it contributes to what your understanding of her relationship with david strathairn at that point that their Mm -hmm. marriage is really really like uh so far gone that like she's now getting a little bit of a jolt by being able to sort of low key flirt with kevin bacon and that dynamic and it charges the dynamic between those two where all of a sudden by the end the fact that they're sort of trying to outmatch each other has that much more of a charge to it it's not like they are you know you know sexual dynamos going after each other this isn't like a psychosexual war of wills or anything like that but it's an undercurrent again no pun intended that um That I think makes this movie just, like, adds a little bit of a spice to this movie.
1: Well, they have this kind of unexpected physical chemistry together in a lot of those interactions. Yeah. That's, like, not, you know, full... I don't want to say not conventional, because they're two attractive white people, whatever. Right. But, like, it doesn't feel like a flirtation between two actors that you would see like you wouldn't see those two performers right. you know playing a flirtatious scene right i think right um i guess it kind the first maybe half hour 45 minutes is very confusing to me in terms of what their getaway is what his character arc is like yeah. i absolutely understand that he would just flirt with uh, meryl streep but like he he does ingratiate himself to this family and probably partly like, as we see the way that he tries to present a front face whenever like anybody else happens upon them when he's already basically kidnapped them. Right. Um, but you you get the sense that that's just how he is. Right. But it, yeah, I guess I, maybe this is where I could have used some broad strokes to just like, yeah, it, and maybe the movie's also trying to pull like a surprise where you don't. Yeah. Quotes know that you if know, that's they're what they're trying,
0: they're, that they definitely don't do a great job in that. Like you suspect no. <laughs> them from the break. Also, like you've seen a commercial for this movie. Supposedly, you know what the you know what the movie's about. Um, but yeah, I think because it, you don't really need it to be a surprise. You're right that if we had seen, even if we had seen a scene of them, sort of like you know running away from the robbery or something like that. Something that about their dynamics uh, before they run into the family or something like that. I don't know. I'm not
1: one of those people that hangs out with strangers on vacation and this is no. why. No.
0: This is why. Again, yes, I've seen the River Wild and know what happens. Um... I want to sort of like step back for a second and talk about where Meryl Streep is in this movie. We don't have to harp on the fact that this is our eighth Meryl movie, but like it makes sense that we've done more Meryl Streep movies than anything else by this point. So one of is
1: Meryl uh, the top? Has she fully surpassed Claire Danes at this point?
0: Oh, she had been ahead of Claire Danes. She has extended her lead. Um, She was, uh, yeah, she had been uh, ahead by. Wait, now I want to make sure that it's not her. Um, nine, I mean, we three.
1: certainly haven't done nine Claire Danes movies.
0: No, we've done seven. Right? Okay. So yeah, so they were tied, and now Meryl has. Uh... She's no, ahead no, on the river. No, this is our ninth Meryl Street movie. <laughs> okay. She had, been, yeah, she was ahead. She was ahead eight to seven, and now she's ahead nine to seven. So, uh, yeah, Meryl extends her
1: lead. Guess we're due for ninth... another Claire Danes soon.
0: Oh my God! Yeah, we got a, We got a. a Even the scales. So, one of my favorite tidbits about Meryl Awards trivia is that the longest stretch she's ever gone with not getting an Oscar nomination since she got her first one for The Deer Hunter in 1978, uh, was this stretch that she is in, in 1994 where she gets Nominated for Postcards from the Edge for 1990, then nothing in 91, 92, 93, or 94, and then 1995, she has her big uh, Oscar comeback, she gets nominated for the Bridges of mm-hmm. Madison County. So four whole years without Meryl, and she has never gone that long without a nomination. She's coming up on that now where her last nomination was for The Post in 2017. So 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, if we assume that she doesn't get nominated for playing the President of the United States in the Adam McKay movie, which I would be surprised if that
1: happened. I think that that's maybe a silly assumption to think that she wouldn't.
0: All right. I'll throw in another bet there. I need to get even. I need to make some of my money back somehow. If you want to throw in another bet that I would say Meryl is not getting nominated for Don't Look Up.
1: You know, my hesitation would say to wait until we know how large her part is. But you know what? I'm feeling frisky today. Yes, I will see you on that bet. How much are we betting?
0: What did we bet for the Michelle Williams, Amy Adams?
1: 50 bucks. All right, another 50 bucks. All right, 50 bucks. I say Meryl's getting nominated this year.
0: I say she is not. Okay, so if it turns out that I am right, it will equal her longest Oscar drought of her entire career at four whole years, which is (laughs) incredible. Um, The difference is this current Oscar drought of Meryl's, we don't really, we're not really chalking it up to a uh, a deficit on her part. Whereas in this era of the early nineties, there was a sense, and we've talked about it before that like, has Meryl lost it? Has she lost her edge? Has she now tried too much to do things like comedies uh, Death Becomes Her was seen at the time as a proof that Meryl Streep cannot do comedy, which is insane. Insane. I An mean, insane like insane notion. Uh, what a
1: fantastic movie! But also, she's so good in that movie.
0: She's so good in that movie.
1: She's so funny. Also, like this, it's also carryover too from She Devil. Which, like, which was she, also
0: seen as a proof that Meryl Streep can't do comedy, which is also insane because she's great in that movie. And then the
1: next year, she gets nominated
0: for a comedy. Yes. Like, um, but
1: no, I do think like some of the disdain for Death Becomes Her is carried over from She-Devil, which is also great. And she's also funny, in.
0: <laughs> she's also, during this span, in Defending Your Life... Which is great. And she also, during this span, is a voice on The Simpsons playing Jessica Lovejoy, which is one of the all time most underrated one episode voice performances on The Simpsons ever. Like, it is so fucking, she's so good in that. You would, like, it doesn't just sound like Meryl Streep showed up and did her Meryl voice. She's doing a full character. I don't, you could tell, like, she put the work in. (laughs) To create Mm -hmm. just this, like, little, you know, up to no good reverend's daughter in this. So, like, it's wild to me that this was the reputation that Meryl had been sort of, had been foist upon Meryl in this era. When, like, it's the only real, like, flop and failure of that stretch of movies is the one that we talked about several months ago, The House of the Spirits, which is a drama. (laughs) Like, it's... It's wild. I don't know. It's fully wild. So, 1990- uh, So is the river. Right. So 1994 comes along, and she's not going to do the
1: Spirits it- is opening in the States.
0: Right. No, And no one is paying attention. Uh, absolutely no one. And so, uh, instead of a comedy, she signs on to do this action movie, which is the first time she's ever done that. I'm sort of taking a quick scan to make sure I'm not f- skipping anything. But, like, she had never done an action movie before. And... It's Meryl Streep, you know, it's Sophie's Choice. It's the French Lieutenant's woman. All of a sudden, she is playing an action heroine. All of a sudden, she's going to try and be Sigourney Weaver or Linda Hamilton. And, like, what's going on here? And the movie, it's not like the movie was received rapturously by critics. It was a 50 high 50s on Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, whatever, like, Rotten Tomatoes, as imperfect as it is for judging movies now, as gets even more imperfect when you go back into movies from before the Rotten Tomatoes era. But Mm -hmm. the reviews were, like, good, not great. You know what I mean? People liked it. Either people thought it was sort of, like, standard cliche action movie whatever blah. I think that was mostly Roger Ebert's take on it, except that he thought the performances were very good. Um, Or people sort of, like... You know, it's good for an action movie, that kind of thing. There was a lot of sort of like genre snobbery at the time around uh, with critics. And its reputation got a little bit better year after year as people would sort of like catch it on VHS or again watch it when it was on television. But like at the time, it was mostly like, look at this odd little creature, an action movie with great performances in it. And clearly, uh, what was its studio? Universal. Clearly Universal saw something in it because you don't get Golden Globe nominations unless your studio is, you know, whining and dining the Hollywood Foreign Press as we have seen uh, play out in uh, yes. in recent history. Uh, so clearly Universal saw something in this movie. They're like, well, we didn't cast Meryl Streep for nothing. So let's see what we can do with this with an awards campaign. And lo and behold, both Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon get Golden Globe nominations for this. And Meryl also gets nominated at the first ever Screen Actors Guild Awards for mm-hmm. best actress in we, you know, and we'll talk about it uh, in this episode. The notoriously odd and kind of wide open even though it was swept by Jessica Lange very sparsely. Uh yeah, 1994 best actress race. Meryl ends up getting both Globe and SAG nominations. And again, it is rare when you are Globe nominated and SAG nominated and don't get an Oscar nomination, especially Globe nominated in a drama, which you know obviously uh, Meryl was. It would have been tough to sell this movie as a comedy, much as I mean, anything some of that is not has a to still tur- be
1: with an asterix though, because the like uh, the uphill climb for an action movie to get an acting yeah. nomination, especially for a woman, yes. Right, exactly. So it's a drama with an asterisk to the academy.
0: Yes, and I think that's the that and the, well, that's why I mentioned that like you know if they could have found a way to get it nominated in comedy, they would have because as far as Hollywood goes, and especially at this time, although I think this bias still remains, if you are not a straight up, you know, a Tony drama, you know, you are your you might as well be a comedy as far as Hollywood. You might as well just be an unserious, you know, we'll, we'll campaign you for a comedy Golden Globe because what are you doing here? So yes, you're right. That's what I think we saw this with, um, golden globe nominations for like uma thurman or whatever it's like yes she was nominated in drama but she was not seen as as much of a serious contender as anybody else who Mm -hmm. was nominated in drama because she repped uh, an action movie so yeah so meryl's nominated i think the nomination for kevin bacon shows even more how much how sort of respected those performances in this movie were Mm -hmm. that uh, Bacon gets nominated for best supporting actor in I would say a fairly strong best supporting actor field. He
1: Yeah, against a lot tougher competition to get through. Or at least like the way that the narrative has been said about this best actress race. Yeah. You know uh that's a pretty stacked supporting actor lineup.
0: We'll get to Kevin Bacon in half a second. I do want to close the loop on Merrill a little bit in this. So Obviously, she doesn't get the Oscar nomination for uh, The River Wild of... So she's nominated for the Globe. She loses to Jessica Lang for Blue Sky, who pretty much sweeps that year, even though nobody saw that movie.
1: Um, and uh, Jodie Foster wins the SAG, which is the first SAG. So it's like you can't really say we can't give her a third one in a row right. for a brand new. Right. Prize. It's the only.
0: It's the only. Or not awa-
1: third one in a row, but third well, one in short order. It's
0: the only of those major precursors that Jodie Foster didn't have the. Well, she's won, you know, multiple times before. So why are we going to give her another one? So that that really goes to show you and that's what i always cite when i talk about like alternate history what happened like if jodie foster was not already a two-time oscar winner going into that oscars she almost certainly wins for now i feel like and um so any but anyway jessica Lang sweeps that year almost by default the other globe nominees are Miranda Richardson, uh, Globe nominees for Drama, Miranda Richardson, who is the only one who survived, and Jodie Foster, are the only ones who survive to the Oscars. Meryl is nominated for The River Wild, and then Jennifer Jason Lee for Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle, which... A movie I really want to talk
1: about sometime, because I want to see
0: it. We should. It's an Alan Parker? Or no, am I saying that just because it's about Dorothy Parker? No, Alan Rudolph, that's yes, why. Yes, Alan okay. Rudolph. Um, uh, my brain is broken. So... <laughs> um yeah, Jennifer Jason Leigh not getting nominated for Mrs. Parker in 94 and then Georgia in 95 uh is it's worth talking a lot about because like that was a real real curiosity with the Oscars. So the actual Oscar nom- uh Oscar lineup is Lang, Foster, Miranda Richardson, adds Winona Ryder for Little Women who Also wasn't nominated at the SAG. Wow, she came. She shows up basically nowhere. I wonder
1: if this is a late because it's a Christmas movie. I wonder if it's a late arrival that like Oscar was the only you know awards body to be able to see it in time of their
0: voting. It's very possible. She's also riding on a. uh, She's. Over,
1: almost uh, winning.
0: She almost wins for the Age of Innocence. And there's a sense of, oh, she really got nipped at the end of the of the race there by Anna Paquin. We kind of owe her. And I don't think she was ever really in line to win the Oscar for Little Women. But She's that, who I'd vote for. Me too, actually. Um, and then it's so funny that I remember Susan Sarandon as being the surprise nominee at the Oscars. But she was a nominee at SAG. Uh, as well as meg ryan who we talked about when we did when a man loves a woman we've talked about this 94 oscar race a lot actually um but i think with good reason because it is a fascinating one and so it's
1: also this like this category is also so fascinating because it's like it feels like this whole fringe concern that no one cared about at the time because mostly everywhere else but like the oscars at large is all about forrest gump versus pulp fiction Mm -hmm. and like none of these contenders could be even more far removed from like what the main conversation is it's almost like you know people kind of sneered their nose at that nomination for the client but It feels like, you know, if they hadn't, maybe it could have finally been her year before Dead Man Walking happens. Um,
0: Yeah. I don't know. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you're right in that this era and this year especially, it felt like the Best Actress conversation was happening parallel to or adjacent to the, the Oscars in a way because Best Picture was so very much dominated by male movies. You also had like the mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption in there and Quiz Show and movies were like the top the top build female character is like sixth build or something like that. And so. Lang is bad in that
1: bad movie that was shelved for years. And like yeah. it does feel like it's partly she won an Oscar but for the wrong movie. Yes. And it is that thing of supporting versus lead where it's like they treat some performers like they don't like their Oscar isn't real if their Oscar is a supporting one. Agree. Um yes. so it's like it's it was honoring her and like the downfall of Orion, but like she's legitimately one of the worst winners i've ever seen it's one of Um, the
0: great for lack of a better option where like everybody else was like no we didn't not we can't give it to jodie foster because we're not going to give her a third we can't give it to susan sarandon because this is not the type of movie that wins oscars we can't give it to winona Ryder because we've already made up our mind by now we haven't seen this movie till late and by not by that point We've already decided that it's going to be Jessica Lange, and we can't give it to Tom and Viv because probably even fewer people saw Tom and Viv than saw. Uh, I think Tom and Booster. Viv was also
1: around for a long time because I'm pretty sure, unless I'm misremembering this, it was nominated at BAFTA the year before. That would make maybe sense. maybe it's the year after. But so like, I could be wrong.
0: In America, that was just like it was. There wasn't really enough of a narrative to build around Miranda Richardson there, even though that was right. like that was the Miranda Richardson era, 1992 through 1994. Like, that was the moment. Uh, now come on now. Um, So, right. So Meryl's awards journey ends with the Globe and the SAG for the River Wild. And the fact that she got as close as she did, I think, speaks incredibly well of her. And the fact that the very next year, they jumped at the chance to nominate her for something that felt more like a Meryl Streep performance, right? It's a drama. She's doing right. an accent. She looks, you know... Sort of uh, windswept on the prairies, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, the drama of
1: the movie hinges on the expressions on her face. It's. I, I, I've I've said it. I will stand by it. It is my favorite Merrill performance. I think it's her best performance.
0: It is. Uh, it's, it's the kind of performance that Debbie Reynolds would have a field day uh, making fun of, right? Which is no slight against uh, Merrill at all
1: in that movie. But that's like, it's the... Debbie is very right in that impersonation, but Debbie is also wrong.
0: <laughs> right. That's the thing. Right. It's a very good impression, but it's also like... Catherine Hepburn also
1: said the same thing about Meryl. Uh,
0: I would say no shade to Merrill And I think Debbie debbie intends much much shade for meryl in that in that call.
1: absolutely her her um her
0: daughter's friend yes her daughter's friend, who, her daughter's friend who helped her daughter uh uh make a spectacle of her in postcards from the edge yeah debbie I mean, reynolds
1: might not feel too great about postcards from the end i can i can understand um, why so here's one question i will pose to you because it's probably reasonable to say that Maybe Jennifer Jason Leigh was sixth because she showed up a bunch. I think she won Indie Spirits. She was at least nominated. Um, Yeah, I could see that. Maybe Meryl was seventh. If the River Wild had made more money and cemented this thing of Meryl is a movie star, and Meryl can, on top of all the things that she does, she can also be an action star. What can't she do? If the movie makes... It didn't do poorly, but like if it was like... A $100 million movie, would she have been nominated? I think she would.
0: It's very possible, because if you look at... So only eight years before this, Sigourney Weaver is nominated for Aliens, which is, you know, it has a lot going for it, uh, especially because by that point, the respect for Ridley Scott and for Alien had, you know, grown by that point. Um, And then in 1991 terminator 2 is a blockbuster and is like an oscar winner for its visual stuff for its like technical achievements Mm -hmm. but like it was at least on the oscar radar and linda hamilton was not an actress of like linda hamilton didn't have like a bunch of great dramatic performances like sigourney weaver did to Mm -hmm. like show that like this is you know one of her great actresses she's basically only known for two things at that point. The Terminator franchise and then Beauty and the Beast on television. Neither of which scream like Oscar prestige. There's no snob factor to Linda Hamilton. But she's hugely... I
1: personally think
0: Ron Perlman is like a fine cheese. <laughs> she did too in that uh, in that uh, show, in that character at least. Yes, so, she did, honey. Uh, listen, he lived in the sewers of New York City and she fell in love with him. Who wouldn't? Okay, so... But I think if Linda Hamilton is an actress of Sigourney Weaver's stature or somebody like that. If Linda Hamilton is Gina Davis, you know what I mean? In Terminator Mm -hmm. two, there's a good chance that maybe she also gets a, gets a nomination for an action performance because that movie was so, you know, so big enough that the Oscars couldn't ignore it. Right. Um, Right. And so I think you look at some, like if, if the river wild even approaches the kind of success or sort of cultural crossover that terminator 2 had without you know and it wouldn't even have had to have been a franchise do you know what i mean like it would have been Mm -hmm. yeah the the you i think you probably would have seen meryl getting a nomination for that and like would have been one of her you know best nominations as far as i'm concerned
1: so yeah i mean this performance is better than a good handful of her nominations i will say absolutely
0: she's so so good in this movie the part towards the end where they're she's taking him down the gauntlet and is very action heavy. And they, she has to like, is I think it's maybe after they have to pull Kevin Bacon back into the boat and he looks so rattled and she looks at him and just laughs right in his face. I'm just, I, it fucking thrills uh-huh. me every single time. I love it so much. And you can feel the exhilaration on her character and she's in her element and she knows that she's got the upper hand on this guy for even a moment. And she's like, she's fucking loving it. It's so good.
1: Um, I just wonder if this was a financial success on the level of similar action movies. Yeah, if she maybe would have also gotten more credit for like, it's a pretty general, basic thriller, right? But she is doing something that isn't that that mm-hmm. doesn't play by those rules. She That's elevates actually more it. of like interesting character interesting character she
0: elevates that movie i think from the 2021 perspective i have a lot more uh, I get a lot more enthusiastic about a movie that does the generic '90s thriller thing right because, like, we yeah. don't get movies that do that anymore. But yes, she's definitely elevated. I was very
1: it. comforted by not the low stakes, but like the low dramatic stakes of this. Yep. How it's not really pulling any punches or pushing anything too hard. It is a perfect
0: I... '90s action thriller. It's it's that's why you know it's it's comfort food for me really but yes she definitely is elevating this movie um i want to pivot to kevin bacon for a second though and i want to do a not like deep dive into kevin bacon but just sort of like where he is in his career at this moment um he breaks through well he's obviously he's in animal house right he's in friday the 13th he breaks through in diner in 82 the, the barry levinson movie diner um Part of this like ensemble cast of sort of young male actors at the time, Gutenberg and Daniel Stern and Mickey Rourke and uh, um, Paul Reiser, I guess, is also in that movie. Um, And then follows that in 84 with Footloose, which is not like you know, seen as a great American, you know, filmmaking triumph at the time, but it is absolutely a movie from the '80s that has stuck around a very long time in the cultural consciousness. And while it doesn't elevate him to the ranks of like great actors, it is like it's a piece of you know pop culture from the '80s that has stood the test of time. And then he's in you know a lot of sort of ensemble. Movies where he's in um, the big picture, which has uh, a you know kind of a big cast of notable names in that movie, and he's in, of course, uh, Flatliners, which is like you know the Julia Roberts, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, William Baldwin's in that movie, and then he's in JFK in '91 with everybody, and he's in a Few Good Men in '92 with everybody and so this is what gives rise to the six degrees of kevin bacon thing which is it's not i remember at the time i was so by the way unsurprisingly catch me at 15 years old being the dork who like fucking rules at six degrees of kevin bacon where like i was like
1: because of a few
0: good uh, men there would be we you know how like you're in class and you sit at the back of your chemistry class and you don't want to do chemistry and so I would have people like throwing names at me of actors and I would just be doing like 60 pieces of Kevin Bacon in the back of the chemistry class, like eschewing one nerdy pursuit for very much another. And um so I was like, that sort of like set my reputation as like movie dork, uh, in, in high school for sure that I was like, I fucking ruled at six years. of bacon, which was like a lot harder back then when you didn't have IMDB to look up or like anything like that. You had to keep all of these, uh, all of these movie casts in your little brain and push out any kind of knowledge that might, uh, help you in other pursuits. So, uh, but the thing about when I would, talk to people about the kevin bacon game and try to explain it to people who didn't know about it and the question is always why kevin bacon and i would have to be like yeah that's the point why kevin bacon why is this actor who was like very much especially at that time middle of the road he's not great he's not terrible he's not The most popular, he's not the least popular. He is, like, magnetic center. He is, like, the geographic center of the United States of acting, right? Of male acting. And that was the point, that you had this actor who was very much five out of ten on every scale of, like, fame and success and whatever, but he's connected to everybody, mostly because he's in a lot of movies with a lot of people. And so... That was kind of his claim to fame at this point, but he was never, like, a critic's darling, right? Like, he's, you know, people love Tremors, and we'll watch that on cable a whole bunch, but he's not, like, he's... Even when he's in big Oscary movies like JFK and A Few Good Men, he's way down the list of people you're mentioning at that, and he certainly doesn't have big enough roles in either to be even thought of along the lines of, like, best supporting actor. So... Well, and
1: also, that's... Oh. Why, correct me if I'm, well, this is not our first Kevin Bacon, but, like, it's one of our first times, like, talking about him. Because right. he's in In the Cut, yep. but has he, is he in anything else that we've done?
0: I don't think so, as I'm sort of, like, now skimming my way down his filmography. I don't believe so. Um, Wild. And there's a bunch that we could do, especially when we talk about now entering this era. So, him getting a supporting actor nomination at the Globes for The River Wild is a breakthrough for him in this sort of respect. And then the next year, he's in another classic Kevin Bacon, classic Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon movie, which is Apollo 13, where, again, part of an ensemble of actors who you can spider out into all these other uh things, and he's not the supporting actor contender there. The supporting actor contender there is Ed Harris. And, um, but he's slowly but surely getting like more and more respect for being in movies like this. And then also in 1995, he's in a movie called murder in the first where he plays a, uh, is he the one on death row in murder in the first? I, don't, I think it is.
1: I don't know that movie. I'm trying to position him on the poster because he's like SAG nominated for this movie,
0: right? I, I'm I'm pretty sure yes, and I'll double check that in a second. If he's no, not, he
1: won Critics'
0: Choice. Interesting. Um, I thought he also may have gotten a SAG nomination, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, no, I guess not. But oh, is supporting? Yes, he got a SAG nomination in supporting actor because the lead in Murder the First is actually um christian slater if you believe it because christian slater is the attorney who's sort of fighting for his freedom i believe and he's sort of like unjustly accused of something and he's stuck in prison and i believe gary oldman is like the uh, authority figure who's looking to keep him uh, locked up and that was the movie that though Uh, the SAG nomination doesn't translate to an Oscar nomination. Critics were really, really in his corner for that one. And that was the big, like Kevin Bacon uh, is, you know, making the leap and is giving a, you know, top notch performance. And I think that there was a sense that this is only the beginning for him. And he's gonna, you know, it's going to happen for him at some point. And actually that was kind of the end of the Kevin Bacon, era in terms of being an awards play with the lone i would say exception of uh, a movie he made in 20 in 2004 called the woodsman which we could do but but i kind of don't want to because he plays a, i don't ever want to see that movie. he's a convicted child molester and the movie is uh i i believe the movie is sort of a redemption story for him right or
1: it's like uh one of those observational things where it's like you're watching a man deal with this but the undercurrent really is but will he do it again and like i i just I don't want
0: it's it's to a do that. dark drama it had got it got some critical acclaim it was he got an indie spirit nomination He got an for indie spirit it. nomination but new market which was the studio um, was really uh pushing it it also comes from lee daniel's entertainment which i think is interesting um co-stars his wife Kira Sedgwick also co-stars Benjamin Bratt so uh if i ever spring a trivia question on you where uh, i ask you what's the other kevin bacon <laughs> benjamin bratt movie uh, you'll remember that it's the woodsman um but i think that's the only other movie where he's really pushed for uh acting awards he's he doesn't stop being in movies he's in a lot of movies but like he's in Oscar nominees,
1: Best Picture nominees, Oscar winners. Oh, like. he
0: was in Crazy Stupid Love. That's another Kevin Bacon movie that we've done.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Um, uh, again, another movie that like you will name yep. six other actors before. That
0: sort of becomes the thing. He's in Frost Nixon, but like you don't name him at all in the movies. Mystic River, he's probably what? I would say like fifth lead, maybe? And that's probably the most prominent role. I think going into Mystic River, I think if you hadn't read... I think his character is also more prominent in the book. So I think if you'd read the novel of Mystic River, you could have talked yourself into the idea that right. Tim Robbins and Kevin Bacon would maybe both be pushed for supporting actor. But obviously, when the movie comes out, it's much, much more a feature for Tim Robbins, even though I think Robbins plays that character all wrong, especially if you've read the book, because I think uh, he he flattens out a lot of that character. It's just a bad performance. It's a bad performance. I don't like that performance. I will stand by the Sean Penn performance, even though it is very big, but like, I get it. And I think it largely works. I think the Tim Robbins performance does not work, but I think that was probably that Kevin Bacon, uh, mystic river performance is probably one of the last times that he's in these big ensembles. And you look at that and you go, Oh, Kevin Bacon could maybe get a supporting push from that. But obviously not. And so he sort of has become. He's, you know, faded into the oddly, he's sort of gone back to that kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. Right. Where he's like, he's not gone away. He's not, you know, he hasn't stopped working. He's still in movies. But. He's just like he's mostly just like in these big ensemble casts with a lot of other people. Crazy Stupid Love, X-Men First Class, um, Black Mass, things like that. Patriots Day. God, he's in Black Mass. I couldn't have told you that unless I was looking at the uh, unless I was looking at his filmography <sighs> here, but yes, he's that in Black in Mass. Movie. Yes. So it's an interesting career. I think few people would have thought at the time that 94 and 95 was going to be like the high watermark for Oscar ability for him. And yet it definitely was. And this turns out to be – The River Wild turns out to be one of the few movies that he gets a major precursor nomination for. It's this and Murder Mm -hmm. in the First, and that's basically it. So Well, and it's not
1: surprising to me that it does happen for this because, I mean, everything that his career went through in the 80s and then he's in JFK – And uh, A Few Good Men, two Best Picture nominees where he's not a major supporting player, but like a featured person, you uh, a featured player that you do remember. He has a very memorable scene
0: in JFK. They visit him in prison in Louisiana. He makes a pass at Kevin Costner. We all sort of uh, he's also part of that horribly homophobic Oliver Stone scene where he gives you these very sinister flashes of a sex party with Kevin Bacon, Joe Pesci and Tommy Lee Jones, a Mad Libs uh, sentence. If ever I said one, Um, but it's this very typically Oliver Stone sort of like nightmarish vision of homosexuality as something like deeply scary. And again, try watching that one when you're 12 years old. (laughs) So try not having that fuck you up like totally entirely. And yet, when you know when Kevin Bacon you know propositions to uh, come see Kevin Costner when he gets out of prison and you know offers to suck his dick or whatever like there is a little bit of thrill again when you're 12 years old watching JFK um and he's great in A Few Good Men he's the he's the prosecutor, he's the um, mm-hmm. prosecuting attorney he's the one who's going up against uh, Kevin Bacon or uh, Kevin Bacon, uh, Tom Cruise and um he holds up. You know, in that role. It's a really good performance by him.
1: And then this is like the big showy one, aside from also the air up there, the <laughs> Disney live action basketball <laughs> movie that comes out this year. Remember when Disney did that? They would just do these like weird like uh you know, movies for families to go to yes. that are not. Angels based in on the IP. outfield,
0: I'm pretty sure was Disney. Um well, that's a remake, right?
1: It is a remake. But, but
0: but again, but that's sort of, that's pitched in the same way. And The Mighty Ducks was definitely that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. They used to be really good. D2, that.
1: The Mighty Ducks. Mm, indeed. Took it to
0: franchise terrain. Yeah, yeah. You add Keenan Thompson and uh, you got a franchise there, kids. Um, yes. True of all movies. True of all movies. So, yeah, Kevin Bacon is really good in this movie, in The River Wild, I would say. He plays a really good villain.
1: I mean, I think that the best mode for Kevin Bacon is as a villain. Like I the examples I'm about to bring up are trashy, but like he gives exactly what those movies need. I'm thinking of Wild Things and Hollow Man. I was just,
0: I was like he's going to say Hollow Man. You wouldn't you 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 couldn't not say Hollow Man. I mean, I re- I I had to
1: rewatch all the Verhoven stuff this year. Benedetta is still coming.
0: Had to. As if, as if that was a Colum twist Man of Doesn't your arm.
1: work, but like, I don't think any problem with that movie is Kevin Bacon's at all. I think yeah. he's doing.
0: He's he's really he's really sinister. He's really uh, yeah. He's a good villain in that. And yeah, he is. I think people mostly men- remember him in Wild Things because uh, he's you know shows full full hog in that bacon. movie. But. Full bacon. The full side of bacon is visible. Let me tell you, honey, it uh,
1: wasn't even a side of bacon. It was the full hog. (laughs) (laughs) It was, you know.
0: Only thing that makes Wild Things better is if Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon's characters actually have sex in that movie, which is... I mean, it is kind of homoerotic. Yes, of course it is. Absolutely it is. Uh, And intentionally so, I would say. Um, But yeah, I think he, he gives that element of danger in Wade that gives that element of sort of flirty sexiness with the interactions with Streep. He's, you know, the ways he ingratiates himself to the sun are very uh, untrustworthy and in a way that, but like keeps it always on the side of plausible deniability where like you would see where the David Strathairn character is never going to trust him, but you can also see where Meryl's character doesn't find him to be threatening until, again, he's sort of leering at her from the cliff. And it doesn't make her seem like a sap for not seeing it right away, right? He plays right. it so that, like, he's not so overtly villainous that we lose patience with her because she doesn't, you know, see it right away. Which I think is a danger with some of these movies. Some of these movies, I end up really losing my patience with the main character because I'm just like, oh, come on. Like how do you not see that this person is like sharpening his teeth with a machete blade? You know what I mean?
1: Like No, what? I totally agree with you on this character point. And it's like my only hesitation like in the story side of it is like my general confusion of why he's if it's like intentional to rope them in early or not because right. like it would appear not but then it's just awfully kind of convenient but like that's nothing to do with the performance Yeah
0: I could I I think a, I think a legitimate criticism to give this movie is that it is awfully convenient because I don't think like he was scouting her out from the beginning I think it is a good coincidence that he does run into an expert ra- or, you know river rafter Uh, who he can rope into his scheme after his original plan goes awry. Yes. But, you know, I'm not going to linger on it too much, I don't think. Talk to me about how much you want to have sex with David Strathairn on this movie.
1: Thank you so much. I was about to say, can we please stop talking about anything else but David Strathairn? David Strathairn, it would take another decade for him to finally get a nomination. Yes. We need another one. The well is dry. I need my well to be full. David Strathairn. Good Lord. Lord Jesus, one of the hottest men (laughs) David Strathairn, you know my David Strathairn actor. problem.
0: You know my issue with David Strathairn, right?
1: If I'm gonna be mad, I will. No, if this is you will disappoint our listeners because I will leave this podcast. It's if not you're that about
0: I don't. It's not that I don't love David Strathairn because I do as an actor. It took me a very long while to get past the fact that one of the very first movies I ever saw him in was Dolores, Dolores Claibor- Claiborne, and it re- you know. like it took a while for me not to knee-jerk like recoil from him because he plays such a creepy scumbag in that movie and he played it so well i was gonna bring up
1: dolores claiborne because like that's what the year after this yes i think like his ability to just like us believe him as all of these type of average everyday men some of who like are very good some of whom are very bad some of whom are like uh procedural bureaucratic people who are not actually that interesting of roles of him he he is never less than believable in a movie and he's just one of our best actors in the way that like people that you know they're not flashy so they don't get the credit
0: here's what Dolores um, Claiborne did to my brain I I Love a league of their own, like few other people love a league of their own. And that is a very lovable movie. And a lot of people like it, but like that movie exists in my heart. He plays one of the most purely lovable characters in that movie. He all he does is try to keep this women's baseball league going. And he, you know, and he, you know, argues with Gary Marshall about it. And he, you know, he really wants to support uh, these, these women. And I see Dolores Claiborne clearly after a league of their own. Like it, it's three years later and I had certainly, you know, I didn't see league of their own in theaters, but I had certainly seen it on VHS long before I would seen Dolores Claiborne. And yet he's such a creep in Dolores Claiborne that my brain like schismed. And I stopped thinking of his character in the league of their own as a David Strathairn character. And just like, ass- like made my brain think like he was being played by somebody else because I couldn't handle that. This absolute gross, creepy molester character Could have been in any way associated with my beloved A League of Their Own. So, like, it was literally years before I was like, that was David Strathair in A League of Their Own that I've seen a dozen times by now, wasn't it? It took eight years and Edward R. Murrow to finally break my brain free from the prison of, uh, what's his character in Dolores? Uh, something Claiborne. The father. Right. I I used to know his name, but now I can't think of it. Um... Uh, great movie, great book, Dolores Claiborne. Great adaptation because the adaptation that movie is nothing is structured in no way like that book. The plot is the same, but right. like the structure is absolutely different in a way that um, makes the movie. It's very much its own thing. Because the
1: books, um, it, the book is first person, but isn't it also like stream of consciousness too? Yes,
0: it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, there is no. There is. You know. There is no objective older Selena. In that like you like Selena, the daughter is not in any way POV in a way that like you get a lot more sort of like third person omniscient in the movie. And um, oh, it's so good, anyway, anyway, anyway. Strathern's great in this movie, tough character to play. The sort of um, yeah, uh, proto cuck almost, you know what I mean? Where it's just like it's you, not even that, it's also that
1: like he's the asshole, yeah. You know, and we're rooting for Meryl. We're rooting for Meryl. Right. And, like, it's so easy to
0: just really not like
1: this guy. And, like,
0: He's all about his not... work. He ignores his family. He's not being very attentive to his son. They're on the brink of divorce. Uh He's, you know... Yeah.
1: Well, and it's also, like, in a way... The finale of the movie, they, like... Getting ahead of these guys and, like, you know, beating the bad guys yes. is something that they do together.
0: Right. It's their family bonding. You
1: know, like, he's not the hero of the movie, but they do actually beat the bad guys through a collective effort and through, like, even though they're not together, through communicating to each other. Exactly. And, like... It's also, I think it's also really easy for the audience, especially because it's Meryl and because, like, she's playing such a, like, competent and interesting character that, like, we don't even care (laughs) what this guy is doing. Right. Right. We, like, well, he's off, you know, separated from the group. Like, we could just as easily not care. And, like, that's why you cast a David Strathairn.
0: Checking in with David Strathairn's part of the movie after he gets separated from the family is very sort of like making sure that you're still keeping up with what the plot mechanics are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, The character stuff is all on that raft. Um, It's always bothered me a little bit that the movie ends with Joseph Mazzello's character saying, Oh, my dad, he saved our lives. And like end of the movie. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> and, but I, it only bothers me to a point because it's not like the movie is under any illusions that Meryl isn't the action heroine of this movie, right? Like Meryl is in charge Correct. of this movie. Um, I think it's sort of like a little like grace note to go on, but it's weird. Like if there's just like, give me half a scene after that line. Don't let it be the last thing that happens in the movie. And I'm totally fine with it actually. Um, But it's just an odd little like, and that's the end of that chapter kind of thing. Um, I will
1: always cheer for David Strathairn. When I looked up the poster to this movie and saw that he got above the title billing, I about fist pumped in the
0: air. (laughs) What does he have coming up? Actually? Let me look. See if it's anything. Um,
1: Oh, he's in Nightmare Alley.
0: Oh, iconically filmed in Buffalo Nightmare Alley.
1: Um, Nightmare Alley. Uh, very curious to see uh, what that will be like, how it will be received. I am willing to bet, though, I could be uh, saying something like this before <laughs> like a month before this episode is airing. I uh, could always put egg on my face, but I wouldn't be surprised if that movie, because it's still in post-production, Moves to
0: next year? Yes. I was just about to say, yeah. are we really getting that movie this year? We've it's obviously not going to any festivals. We've heard very, very little advance buzz about it. I would be n- or, yeah, not at all surprised yeah. if it gets moved. Um, he's also I mean, he was in Nomad land last year. It was, I would have I would have liked to have seen more of a supporting actor push for him for Nomad Land last year. I thought he was very good in that. He was once again very sexy. <laughs> yes. I love that this is where it's all coming down uh, for you. Um, I'm simple man. <laughs> simple man of simple tastes.
1: I don't like to reduce things down just to looks, attractiveness. But Dravid Strathairn, if I haven't gushed enough about uh, how he is one of our finest living actors, he's also one of our uh, finest living actors.
0: Okay. Um... Yeah, more more good things for David Strathairn. I feel like we are, we are overdue for his second Oscar nomination. The fact that it was now 18, no, 16 years ago. um, It's been too long.
1: This is like a facile observation, but it's also like, he's one of those actors that's surprising, hasn't been scooped up by TV and has like 15 Emmys now. I
0: literally looked up, I was just like, decade. well, he did get, a, he won an Emmy for Temple Grandin. He did win an Emmy for that. Uh, but that, of course, was a miniseries. HBO movie, though. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was just a movie. It wasn't even a miniseries. It was a movie.
1: Yes. I, I believe it's just a movie.
0: Yes, right. Because it was going to be theatrically released for a while. That was... Uh, he
1: is also on The Expanse. But as we know, that well, is a show about Shoreg Dashlu and Dash uh, Loo's annunciation of swear words.
0: Uh, true. And also, again, a two-year-old spoiler, but he was on The Expanse. Um, oh, he's dead. Yeah, but he was great. I really loved him. He had, by the way, speaking of accents, oh, did he have... He had, like, Space Patois in that show, and that was crazy. Oh,
1: no. Not in a, like... This is not the Strathairn I asked for. Well,
0: not in a way that was, like, offensive, because, like, in that... I mean, I, I don't know. Is I'm it not, like Cloud Atlas, where it's like, this is just how language evolves? Well, sort of. And so, it, not to, like, get too into the plot of The Expanse, but in The Expanse... uh civilization has expanded to the uh, solar system and has colonized Mars and has also colonized the asteroid belt, but it's very hard to live on the asteroid belt as you would imagine. So the people who do are these very sort of like hardy working class, uh, no one single race of people, but they are a race unto themselves. They are a people unto themselves, the Belters. And they are characterized by this very sort of like thick patois kind of a, not, not in any specific, like they're doing like Jamaican exactly, but like it's like, it's some kind of amalgamation of a bunch of like, it's not any one thing. They could also be like, you know, pseudo Celtic or something like that, but it's, uh, it's a very thick accent and it's, and he does it very well actually. And he ends up being a very likable character.
1: Uh, I need to loop back to watch some of this because I feel like this is just a show that my spouse watches. And then I like, like, Instantaneously peek my head around the corner when I see when I hear Showreg Dashly talking.
0: I started watching trouble. in season two and had no trouble jumping to it. I think season one, from my understanding, is very Thomas Jane heavy, which is not my thing. So jumping ahead into Ooh. season two when it becomes more about everybody else uh, was uh, a happy a happy thing that I did. But yes, um, loved David Strathairn and the Expanse. So that yes. Anything else? We're now We've really. Times time has flown. Anything else about the River Wild we want to talk about? In terms of, I mean, ephemera. I don't
1: always love like even obviously now like referring to things as COVID movies or like COVID comfort <laughs> movies, right? But like it did feel like a week or so period that I was like why is
0: everybody watching The River Wild oh right did they? Now? Did this movie have one of those uh, revivals? I think it was COVID just revivals. like
1: one of those movies that's been sitting on HBO Max yeah. and like as people got HBO Max well if anybody had asked me for movie. a
0: recommendation I would have given it to them for this because it's one of my most recommended movies if you haven't seen it I will you know badger you to see it I want to talk about we'll watch it with you right now yeah I want to talk about Curtis Hansen for a little bit. We've talked, we did. Oh yes, of course we did uh, in her shoes several months ago, maybe even over maybe a year or so ago. Uh, it was a bit anyway, uh,
1: like a year and a half ago. I think that was before the pandemic. I think it was.
0: Um, Obviously we love that movie. He has other movies that were sort of Oscar-adjacent, but he only ever really hit that big time once with L.A. Confidential, which happens three years. It's the next movie after The River Wild. So he was about to take a big old leap for Best Picture nomination, Best Director nominations, kind of across the board for him. Uh, the movie is generally thought of to be the runner-up to Titanic, if as in as much as Titanic left any room for anything else to be a runner-up. Um, it was sort of the the critical snob choice back when uh, Titanic was seen as this sort of crassly commercial. The masses like it and we're not allowed to like Titanic if we're good critical snobs. Uh, L.A. Confidential was the, the alternate of choice that year, which is interesting because Curtis Hansen is not a snobby director. He is, like, very, very... like. A, not at all. His two movies previous to that were The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and The River Wild. He had been making movies before that, too. He had done um Bad Influence, which is a very sort of, you know, kitchen sink psychological thriller. And by kitchen sink, I just mean, you know, he's throwing every lurid detail <laughs> but the kitchen sink at you in that. Or perhaps that it is a movie that is notoriously not braced, much like kitchen sinks can be um (laughs) rob lowe james spader in the in the in 1990 kind of tells you everything you need to know about the kinds of characters you're dealing with i feel like they both played very specific types at that point in their career um interesting that they would both become like very tv uh type actors in i would say the next decade after that he also notoriously directed losing it which is that uh Teen sex comedy starring Tom Cruise and uh, Shelley Long in the 1980s. He's an interesting director. His filmography is always very fascinating. He doesn't really pigeonhole himself in any one genre. It's always wild to me that you had a director whose back to back movies were Eight Mile and then In Her Shoes. it's delights me, even though I don't really love Eight Mile. Um, I love that he went LA Confidential, Wonder Boys, Eight Mile in Her Shoes. That's a fantastic four-movie stretch. I want to watch Lucky You. Um, I do, too. I've never seen it. Drew Barrymore.
1: It was supposed to be a bomb. Right. And it, like, bombed the weekend of Spider-Man 3, and how much worse than Spider-Man 3 could it be? Um... I kind of wanted to make you watch The Bedroom Window, which is on Criterion now, but it's been available on, like, Prime and stuff. I have not seen it either. Because yeah. it has Isabella Pair having a good time. And, like, I looked up interviews with her about that movie. She's like, I had a good time. Um, I should watch that. Also, I mean, it's, it's a fun movie. It's part of uh, Criterion Channel's noir stuff right now. At this point, it could be off the channel um by the time the episode airs, but, like, it's Steve Gutenberg, in a way that Steve Gutenberg never really got to be as like a movie star, he's shirtless in uh a good chunk of it um but it's it's like a nice uh schlocky but not too like uh perverse that type sounds of. Cool.
0: I like that his very first uh his directorial debut he kind of he was the one of those directors. Who came out from under the the Roger Corman wing as directorial debut was produced by Roger Corman. Uh, it's a movie called Sweet Kill that I love. In, in Wikipedia's thing where it talks about other titles, also known as A Kiss from Eddie and The Arousers. I want a movie now called oh The God. Arousers. Like that's my challenge: is somebody uh, make this movie? This is obviously it sounds like
1: a Meg Wolitzer
0: book. It's a <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's um obviously a a b movie it stars tab hunter which uh again talk about things that just like i bet that had a part in the celluloid closet anything anything tab hunter related i'm always just like oh there's some sort of you know obviously queer connection there um it's a lurid roger corman produced b movie and i'm interested to see if it's available anywhere because i am i should go on like a early curtis hansen kick and just sort of become a her, Curtis Hansen complete us. Cause his early movies and his last movies, uh, are the ones that nobody ever talks about with him. With good reason, I think, with the last ones. His last two movies were the, uh, where he produced the big year. He didn't direct the big year. Um, and then he directed, uh, Chasing Mavericks, which was his, uh, uh, finale. Surfing
1: movie, right?
0: Yeah. And he must have gotten sick during that because it's a co-director credit with Michael Apted. And my, because mm. Curtis Hansen ended up dying, of a degenerative neurological disease that isn't Alzheimer's, Ugh. but isn't totally dissimilar from Alzheimer's. He died in 2016.
1: God, that's horrible. It is.
0: It's incredibly sad. Um, and I mean, we, I feel, it feels like, I feel like we lost Curtis Hansen and Jonathan Demi and Mike Nichols all within a few years of each other. Um, I could be wrong but i don't think i am i think it's probably within your pain is just linked across that time (laughs) yes um i think probably within a maybe three-year span let's see hansen died in 2016 demi died in 2017 and mike nichols died while i was working at decider because i remember having to write about it and he died in 2014 so yeah all within a three-year span and those three directors I was like, Oh, this hurts. This hurts to lose three directors of that kind of intuitive humanity all within a span of each other who made these very, uh, who made a lot of different kinds of movies. You know what I mean? They didn't have Mm -hmm. their one niche that they were really tied into and they were great. They all, you know, had great relationships with actors and they, made each of them made at least two or three movies that i hold very very close to my heart and so um i love this is one of them i love the river wild anyway but i love it especially because it's a curtis Hansen movie so yeah anything else before we hop into the imdb game
1: uh, one precursor slash uh whatever you want to call it uh that we did not mention uh an incomplete profile on IMDb as this will sometimes happen. Meryl was nominated at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, Fuck yeah, uh, for favorite actress in suspense. Um, also nominated against uh, Susan Sarandon for The Client. I say it's incomplete. Because it doesn't say who won this category, who the hell could have possibly beaten the two of them? It has to be Jamie Lee Curtis, but Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. is nominated True in lies. action adventure.
0: Oh, that's and interesting.
1: loses to Sandra Bullock in Speed. What 1994 actress was in a suspense movie that would beat the two of them?
0: Suspense. Was this the year of Wolf? Could it have been Michelle Pfeiffer and Wolf?
1: I will look that up, but I feel like that would just go to horror. If they yeah, had a horror if they had
0: category. a horror category. Yeah. Um,
1: Wolf, I recently watched on Criterion Channel. I've, that movie is nuts.
0: I've been meaning to watch Wolf for probably the last 10 years of my life. It's always been on this, like, my long list of. Uh, of you know movies i want to see obviously i want to be a mike nichols completist so i do want to see um wolf it's so uh,
1: shocking that that's not one of the movies that mike nichols made while he was on drugs
0: (laughs) (laughs) or waiting to make another movie as was like robert zemeckis making what lies beneath no
1: like he had a vision for that movie yeah
0: that's crazy
1: uh, Wolf is nineteen ninety four, so maybe it's Michelle
0: Pfeiffer. Eh, I mean, I feel like it. W- it would still surprise me because it felt like The River Wild and The Client were both more popular. Maybe, it, maybe you know, one of those two did win, and and IMDb is just not. Uh, fully updated in that respect, that they don't even know who won. Get
1: on it, Blockbuster Entertainment Award. I know. You know I mo- want a full moderator. Whatever you do for this page, somebody
0: apply for a MacArthur Genius Grant, and the and the project is just to uh, <laughs> uh, compile a <laughs> complete archive. Better a, a complete archive of the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. We need it. We need it for history. This civilization is about to die. We need something that people will remember us by, and it needs to be the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. Explain
1: the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards to the aliens when they arrive.
0: Chris, explain the IMDb game to the aliens for uh, when they arrive and they (laughs) listen to this.
1: (laughs) All right, guys. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voiceover...
0: uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: uh, not my voiceover performance, but if any of them are television <laughs> voiceover performances or non acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it's just a free for all of hints as we, uh, uh, go off, or, off of those like little mini whitewater rafting cliffs.
0: Hell yeah. That's the IMDb game. Chris. Not
1: hell yeah. Hell no. I am not whitewater rafting ever. <laughs> no, if that has never anything... appealed to me. That has never no. appealed to me. What is wrong with these people? Like, I
0: believe my brother's gone rafting some down some sort of uh, whitewater course before. And I've, I've my brother's done a lot more adventurous things than I have. But uh, no, thank you.
1: I do not have the inkling to have a near-death experience. Willingly.
0: My fucking at-home life with anxiety is harrowing enough. I don't need to be throwing myself into death-defying situations. Anyway, Chris, do you want to guess first or give first?
1: (laughs) I want to give first because I have a demented option. And it's a a nice segue because I brought up the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards uh, last thing because for you, I have from that year a Blockbuster Entertainment Award winner that is at least on the IMDb page. Did the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards only award film? Apparently not. <laughs> the 1994 winner of Favorite Pop Female, I have for you, one Miss Mariah Carey.
0: Oh, I was going to say Janet Jackson, but yeah, Mariah Carey. Janet also Jackson
1: work. won a Favorite Female Artist. There we
0: go. Wait, so artist and performer were two very different things? That's kind of subtle shade at Mariah. Yes. <laughs> Well,
1: pop female.
0: <laughs> sure, but just like, yeah, you know, you're, you may be a pop female, but you're no artist, uh, Mariah. <laughs> the shade at emotions, the absolute shade. No, what would have been her 94? Was 94 emotions? What was her album that year?
1: No, nine, well, 94 is.
0: After music, music box? Box, it's after music
1: box Music and uh because there were still some singles for music box that year i did look this up i'm i am a lamb but i'm not you know <laughs> not the i Lamb. i don't have all my years straight yeah. but also the christmas album comes out in 94
0: sure of course okay so mariah carey imdb game are they all movies
1: uh there is one voiceover
0: performance <laughs> oh god i don't know the voiceover performance is she in sing
1: no. Damn it.
0: That's a strike against me. All right, well, uh, Precious. Yes, Precious. Why can't I think of any other... She's. I'm going to make another stab in the dark at a movie that we've definitely covered, so I'm going to look doubly stupid. Um, no, if Mariah was in Cadillac Records, we'd never stop talking about the fact that Mariah and Beyonce were both in, the, in a movie together. Um... We have covered
1: a Mariah Carey movie before, though
0: oh shit
1: whether it is on her known for is for you to decide. oh
0: you are cruel and unusual
1: you've said precious i mean like you've got to say but you cannot oh, oh, get oh, your years of course, before you of
0: say course this. right okay thank you for for that uh accidental hint uh, lee daniels the butler
1: no <laughs> no you didn't get the one
0: is that the one you were trying to hint me towards
1: no, no. The the one Mariah Carey movie. Like, you didn't say it.
0: The one Mariah Carey movie is... Precious. Not
1: that we've done. Like, I'm saying canonically the Mariah Carey movie. Oh, on well, and
0: Glitter, of course. Yes, I would have... Yes, to so glitter,
1: your yeah. year for that would have been 2001. Yeah. Iconic I, 2001 I, yes. slash 9-11 cinema Glitter.
0: Yes. But the one you were hinting me towards was Lee Daniels the Butler. Yes, and we yeah.
1: we, we did not... Uh, it's not is, on her known not She doesn't known say... A word in that movie.
0: <laughs> she sure doesn't. Okay, so oh. I have two strikes and two correct.
1: Uh, Yes, your years are 1999, and the one with the voiceover performance is 2017.
0: 2017.
1: I totally forgot about this, and that's why I pulled this.
0: She's not a voice in Zootopia, is she?
1: She's not. Damn it. I believe you are thinking of one Shakira.
0: Well, I'm always thinking of Shakira when it comes to Zootopia, Justice for Try Everything, the true, the deserving uh, song, best original song winner that year. Okay. 1999 is the other one you said? Yes. Huh. 1999. Is it like a. Is it a musical type of a movie? No. Okay. I believe
1: she only has like a scene or two in this movie, but I absolutely being
0: Is it, she playing a, a character being. or is she playing herself? She is billed
1: as Ilana. She is definitely playing like um hmm. How do I say it without overtly? <laughs> she is playing an ex of the lead titular character.
0: Oh, who is like Maybe has a one lot of, of exes. many exes yeah. of this character. Well, it's too early for Alfie. Um. Oh, is it the one where Chris O'Donnell keeps having fiancés? Yes. What is it called? The, who is
1: the lead actress of that movie?
0: Renee Zellweger.
1: Renee Zellweger.
0: But what's you that movie of called? The Bachelor. The Bachelor. You. Thank you. Yes. Wow. Are honestly good on me for remembering. <laughs> there was a movie she's
1: in the bachelor where
0: chris o'donnell has a lot of uh has a lot of exes all right the bachelor wild who directed okay the so bachelor? your
1: 2017 movie where she has a voice performance uh she is playing she is billed as a wait character no who, i know what it is
0: i know what it is it's uh, lego batman it's lego batman. she's the mayor she's the mayor of she's gotham the mayor in lego i remember batman. that yes it's so good i love the lego batman movie
1: lego batman's
0: fun yes Oh, I'm glad I remembered that. Oh, very good. Okay. Lego
1: Batman also doesn't shit the bed the way the Lego movie does.
0: That's true. I like the Lego movie a lot, but yeah, the Lego Batman movie is more satisfying, top to bottom, I would say. Okay.
1: Mariah Carey, well done.
0: I'm going to apologize in advance because this particular IMDb game is a little unhinged, but I had a hard time Finding a Curtis Hansen performer that we haven't done before (laughs) because (laughs) we've done a lot of them. Anyway, I went into the ensemble of, uh, LA Confidential to get this one. I was like, we haven't done Kim Basinger. Oh no, we did Kim Basinger literally like three weeks ago or whatever, uh, a month and a half ago for a thousand acres or a thousand acres episode. But anyway, instead. I will give you the uh, the old salty police dog of that movie, Mr. James Cromwell. I
1: had a feeling this was happening. Are you sure we haven't done James Cromwell?:
0: I looked. I'll look again, my friend, but I don't because looking at this, I was like, no, I would remember if we've done.
1: The thing about James Cromwell is great actor, a lot of the same fucking roles. Um, yes. Babe, obviously, babe, is on there.
0: One would think. Are you
1: kidding me?
0: Not Babe. This is why I've pre-apologized for this. Because it is wild that James Cromwell's IMDb game does not include Babe. He was nominated for a whole Oscar for that movie. He sure was. He was in two Babe movies. And I'm going to already give you the free hint that it's not Pig in the City. Oh my god. Even though he's not in much of Pig in the City. But yeah. Hmm. I mean...
1: (sighs) It's a question of how high build is he in LA Confidential. I'm positive he wasn't on the poster, though maybe he was, because this was only shortly after Babe. I'll just guess LA Confidential.
0: LA Confidential is correct. Now I'm going to look at the poster. The poster, oh, this is wild. First billed Kevin Spacey, then Russell yes. Crowe, then Guy Pierce, then Kim Basinger, then Danny DeVito, who it doesn't say it on the on the billing, on the above the title part but i think danny devito is the and in this yeah it's with kim basinger and danny devito um but James Cromwell. Yeah,
1: because they like made it seem like it was Kevin Spacey's movie, and like, right the whole season and everything. Well, They're just America didn't Russell know Crow
0: either Russell Crowe or Guy Pierce. That's a big reason why neither one of them were nominated. If we knew who Russell Crowe was at that time, there's no way he doesn't get an Oscar nomination for that. movie. Right. But yeah, the credit block says Spacey, Crowe, Pierce, then James Cromwell, then David Strathairn. Speaking of your uh, your. Uh, fuck crush uh with My, Kim Basinger uh,
1: friend and lover David Strickland. right
0: with Kim Basinger and Danny DeVito anyway yes LA confidential you got one
1: okay um see it's a lot of the same yeah this role, is where so this is where like... we
0: we enter madness territory not in the um, fact that like it's crazy that he was in these movies but just like to ask you to pick these movies out of your memories of James Cromwell is uh, <laughs> is something.
1: I'm just going to stick with Oscar and say The Queen?
0: Is he in The Queen? Yeah, he's Prince Philip. Oh, is he Prince Philip? You're right, he is. Well, it's not yeah. The Queen. All right, two strikes. So your your okay. answers are one film from 1996, two films from 1999.
1: So after his Oscar nomination.
0: All of them are after his Oscar nomination. So no, uh, what's the movie that he has early where he plays some kind of like... uh, No, I think it's in like All in the Family or something where he plays like a mugger or something like that.
1: Oh, that's weird.
0: Yes. I'm pretty sure that's the show.
1: Okay, so now I'm just thinking of what the hell these movies are.
0: All right, so...
1: Isn't he in Deep Impact? Deep Impact.
0: uh, Not Deep Impact. Now I'm going to look and see if he actually was. He was in Deep Impact, but no, not that. Okay, so the two from 1999, each one of them, actually, the posters are weirdly similar. They both feature an A-list actor's face sort of like totally central to the poster. They're the only name above the title. They're both wearing sort of uh, authoritarian hats like they hats that indicate their Green Mile. Uh, yes.
1: <laughs> Green Mile, Green, I remember
0: him in Green Mile. Green Mile he plays the warden. Um the other one. So who's another like big A-list star of let's say the late 90s in America?
1: Bruce Willis. Nope. Um Tom Cruise. Nope. Um, who else is in movies in 1999?
0: Um, this is in like the career, uh, sort of the, the parabola of this person's career was like at a real, real top of the arc at this point. And, uh, he's no longer an A-list movie star of this stature, even though he's still incredibly notable. Um, but had like a resurgence in the mid nineties that lasted, uh, Probably a few more years after 99.
1: Travolta. Yes. Civil action is like 98. Yes. This is... Oh, but he's wearing a hat. Yes. What was he wearing a hat in? Um, The needle in the haystack is finding Travolta in a hat.
0: Based on a novel that is not a Tom Clancy novel, but you could be fooled into thinking it was
1: oh i know what this is it's a military movie i forget the name because it's generic as hell aren't they investigating like sexual assault
0: uh i believe it i believe yes that when the daughter of a well-known and well-respected base commander is murdered an undercover detective is summoned to look into the matter and finds a slew of cover-ups at west Yikes. point so yeah clearly this is sort of a post Tailhook era kind of a, a movie. Not it's based fun. on a novel by. It wasn't Tom Clancy, but I remember when I worked at the public library, Nelson DeMille was very, very popular, and like every Nelson DeMille novel, like was flying off the shelves. My mom read all of them. It's called The General's Daughter. Sure. Which
1: I believe was a pretty. I know the poster hit. though. It's his. It's his face in a military hat, and it's yeah. like blue.
0: Yes. All right. So your 1996 movie is part of a franchise that has sort of gone across many different eras and iterations. It's sort of like, it's defined, I think, by this point, as being, uh, as sort of having gone through uh, several different eras. This was the middle era of it. Um, wow,
1: a long-spanning franchise, but in 96. Yes, because, like, I would have thought... Um, I don't know what I would have thought. Star Wars, but... No. Um,
0: Based on a TV
1: show. Star Trek. Right. Which Star Trek is in 96? Right. It's obviously one of the Patrick Stewart. It's right. obviously next-gen. Yes. Uh, is this Insurrection?
0: no i think insurrection Um, is the one after this
1: generations
0: i think that's the one before this (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, uh, nemesis is the last one
0: uh first contact first contact star wars or star trek First first contact last answer yes exactly A very truly odd... I don't know if I could necessarily... Deeply odd. Besides Babe, though, I'm not sure which ones I'm like, gotta have Cromwell. I'm kind of surprised that nothing from television showed up in there, because he was on American Horror Story for a while. He was uh, on Boardwalk Empire, but only, I guess, for a few episodes. Um, He was on 24 as Jack Bauer's father, but again, only, I think, for a short stretch. He played George H.W. Bush in W is it cromwell on succession he should be oh yeah he's he's brian cox's brother he's brian cox's disapproving brother he's also he was also on six feet under for like several seasons that i'm actually really surprised uh wasn't there because that was uh that was pretty prominent for him all right this is a fun one. This is a fun episode. I love talking it about it. It was a Mariel. wild one. The river was wild. It was. That, though, is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should all have. God, we're really stumbling.
1: <laughs> we can't talk today.
0: We can't. Uh, you should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can our listeners find more of you?
1: Uh, You will find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris
0: V-File, that is
1: F-E-I-L, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D, I'm on Letterboxd also as Joe Reed spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez. oh uh, my god, we really, like, tongue-tied. Not if you ha- if you can't tell, <laughs> tell me this is our fourth episode in... in eight days without telling me this is our fourth episode in eight days um <laughs> we would like to thank kyle cummings for his fantastic artwork and dave gonzalez and gavin mevious for their technical guidance please remember to rate like and review us on Ah, uh, god damn it one more time We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple podcast visibility. So take a break from your, Oh wait, that's the last one. No, it's not. Oh my God. What the fuck is wrong with me? I'm keeping all of this in because it really tracks my mental degradation to a point where I need to have it documented. It's
1: jerking us around like whitewater rafting.
0: Indeed. All right. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts' visibility, so take a break from your dumb drawings, dad, and write us something nice, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Joseph Zello is ungrateful
1: for being given the opportunity to call... David Strathairn. Oh my god. Daddy.
0: No, I'm bailing. I'm hitting I'm bailing on this podcast right now. Thank you, Daddy. Alright, Noah Galvin in episode two of the second season. No, you Everyone's <laughs> a winner, baby, that's <laughs> so